This is our last week of a sermon series based on the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, and a book by Elaine Heath. And uh, Paul turned, uh, Paul wrote to the Galatian church at a time when there was a lot of uh, turmoil and change and resulting tension. And that's why Elaine Heath says it's a message that we really need to hear today too. Uh, there's a lot of tension and change and uh, the foundations seem to be shaking under the church. For Paul, it was because the Jewish Christians, Jews who had come to believe that Jesus was uh, the Son of God and the revelation of God, uh, were used to having laws, the whole robust Jewish law to uh, follow and be guidelines for um, knowing how to live their lives rightly before God, which gave uh, tremendous comfort. Uh, sometimes it gives any of us tremendous comfort to feel like we know exactly what it is that we should be doing to be right and, and to do the right thing. And uh, when the Spirit was received by the Gentiles, and they also believed that Jesus was God's revelation and um, the Spirit created a community that embraced Jewish and Gentile Christians, then all of a sudden it was uncertain. The rules were changing. How, how do we know how to live in order to do the right thing and to be right with God? Um, I, I thought uh, as I was, as I was uh, trying to imagine what it was like for Paul to be facing that situation, I, I thought maybe it's an analogous in a, in a way to uh, being an immigrant who comes to a country. And um, so I looked on, on the, the website of the, of the government immigration and naturalization service uh, about what you have to do to become a citizen. And if you think about it, people come to this country from places all over the world where they may have had different systems of government uh, they may have had very different uh, expectations of participation in that. They have come with very different traditions, maybe even different community and civic traditions. Uh, maybe they've come from authoritarian places. And um, so it's kind of helpful, actually. I found that the government lays out a, a list of, of what it means to be a citizen of rights and responsibilities. Uh, it, has a nice little cheat sheet there uh, listing seven rights, <clears throat> freedom to express yourself, I'm not gonna do all of them, right to run for elected office, freedom to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right to vote um, in elections, <clears throat> trial by jury. And then it lists about 11 responsibilities also of citizenship. So it, it makes it very clear. Well, you're supposed to support and defend the Constitution, stay informed about the issues in your community, participate in the democratic process, participate in your local community, respect the rights of others, obey all federal, state, and local laws, pay income taxes on time and honestly, serve on a jury, defend the country should the need arise. It's all very clearly spelled out. And Paul's church in Galatia probably wanted to have things spelled out fairly clearly for them also. And so in, in last week's uh, passage in, in Galatians chapter 5, uh, we were reading uh, where he gives kind of a list. He says you, you have freedom, 
But uh, let me tell you, you got to use your freedom for these things. And if you don't direct your freedom rightly, if you don't center it on the spirit and on God, it's going to look like this whole other list. So he has the list of life and lived by the selfish desires, the flesh, and life lived by the spirit. And that's where that beautiful passage about the fruits of the spirit comes from. He makes it clear that he is kind of filling out what it looks like to live according to what he calls now the law of Christ, which is that we should love one another. So Paul has laid out this beautiful view of a community that is living by the Spirit, and um, if they live guided by the Spirit, they're going to have all of these joyful uh, expressions, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, generosity, self-control. I probably missed a couple. But then Paul in chapter 6, he gets kind of real, and he starts to give some very concrete and principle guidance for the community. And I like, I like what he does with this, and just want to focus in on a few of his points. Um, the first thing he, he says is that you know, I'm pretty sure it's not all going to be perfect. There are going to be people who uh, line up to uh, act against the community's interests, or there are going to be people who step off the a straight and narrow path, and there are going to be people who act harmfully, or there'll pe be people who get discouraged and want to give up. And so he says, if anyone is detected in doing something wrong, if you notice someone in the community doing something wrong, you who have received the Spirit, and let me just remind you that when Paul says you who have received the Spirit, he's talking to all of the faithful, all of the Christians, because the Spirit is what has given them the ability to recognize that Jesus is Lord. You who have received the Spirit should restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. Now, um, some of the translations will say, you, you who have received the Spirit should uh, correct. Uh, some of them say, if you, find, if you detect someone in a sin or a transgression. Uh, and I'm guessing that to our ears, that feels a little bit in your business. Is it not? No? It does to me a little bit, uh, because Paul is assuming that people are really paying attention to each other, and really, in a sense, taking responsibility for each other's growth and well-being and right living. In fact, none of the passage makes sense at all unless Paul assumes that a fundamental part of Christian life is to be part of a mutually interdependent community dedicated to building one another up in love and keeping each other growing in Christ. So maybe even before we go into the in each other's business stuff, we need to acknowledge that Paul does not seem to really believe that most people and I guess he doesn't say any absolutes, 
but that most people can just be Christians all by themselves. He assumes that to be living in Christ is to be part of a network of mutually interdependent relationships and to have some responsibility for one another. So he says, with those mutually responsible relationships, sometimes you need to reach out to each other to correct, to restore, to mend. And it's just as important that you do that in a spirit of gentleness. Uh, easier said than done. But I want you to uh, take a, a minute to think about this idea of restoring, because it'll, I think, help with the, I, with the, the sense that I've given you, and I hope, I hope I'm not imagining it, but that I had myself of feeling this is a little busybody-ish. Um, in Mark uh, chapter 1, when Jesus calls the disciples, you know, some of them have been fishermen, and it says they were in the process of mending nets. Holes that you go fishing with get uh, holes come in the nets, they need to be patched back together so that the, the net can effectively keep catching fish. That's the exact same word. That word for restore is the exact same word that's used in that passage in Mark about fixing a net. They were mending their nets. So we're invited to, when we see breaks in our community because of people's behaviors, we're invited to mend try to restore the whole that that's created in community in a spirit of gentleness. Now, uh, Paul specifically mentions that uh, we should pay attention and, and offer uh, some, some guidance uh, or correction to someone who's maybe going astray. Uh, but there are other ways in which we can bear each other's burdens and as Paul says, fulfill the law of Christ. What are some burdens that people might have? Well, we can have stresses in our lives that make us feel overwhelmed. We can have stresses in our lives that make us want to give up on faith and decide, you know, we don't have much hope for God's really doing anything about um, our needs, our woes or burdens. We can have economic needs. We share and take care of one another. We can experience illness and we need the presence of the community. There are all kinds of ways that we can bear one another's burdens. And Paul lifts up perhaps the one that is most difficult for us, but he's assuming that a community will be there to be part of every, of all these different kinds of bearing of burdens. He has a word of caution. Uh, bearing one another's burdens can be uh, hazardous in some ways. Uh, he says, you know, if you are really reaching out to help correct somebody, you, you, you could get tempted to, to kind of follow them rather than pulling them back in towards the community. Um, and you also could be tempted to think that you were maybe better than other people, and, and that could be spiritually hazardous for you too. So Paul 
acknowledges that sometimes it can be really hard to bear each other's burdens in community, but he still thinks it is so vitally important because it is bringing us to the very heart of what Jesus did and giving himself sacrificially, his life sacrificially, to create more friends into a circle of love that would create more friends. So although it's risky and sometimes difficult and taxing, bearing one another's burdens is fulfilling the law of Christ and ultimately it is for our joy. Paul knows not only that it's, uh, it's difficult in, in ways that, because it might be tempting to think we're better than other people or it might be tempting to uh, decide, well, maybe they're right. It's also just tempting, it's also difficult just because it's tiring sometimes to be worrying and thinking about how to do good and lift others up in the community of faith. And that's why he ends the passage with this reminder that there uh, is the reality of God understanding all our motivations, our intentions, even our weariness, and God rewarding and being there to vindicate the hopes of people who pour themselves out in goodness for the sake of others. I see so many examples in the congregation of people who are looking out for each other. I'd invite you to just even think about someone you haven't seen at church for a while. There may be a reason that you haven't. It may be that they are discouraged or feeling they've had some illness, or maybe they've had something happen that makes them feel estranged. Maybe they're kind of losing their faith. It could be something completely other than those things, but it might be one of those things. I'd invite you to think about if there's a gentle way you can reach out to that person, invite them to just share a little bit, talk with you, and just invite them to be back, um, find out what's going on. Simple things that people do to lift each other up in the community of faith, make the community glow with joy and love. Um, many of you have had different kinds of ways of being uh, kind and reaching out to uh, Donald, who we've been missing, it's hospitalized, and he's always back by the back door. Lots of hands have uh, written cards or gone to visit, have asked after him, have prayed for him. Um, and it actually lifts up the whole community when we're involved in caring for one another. So don't go w get weary of doing good. As I think about the, the things that uh, really broke our hearts this week, we live in a world that is uh, so prone to alienation and hatred and division. All of the things that um, split people apart can be so powerful. The church is called upon to be a place of powerful, sustaining love given by people 
who are dependent on one another and lift each other up thereby through the power and peace of the Holy Spirit. So may we experience the healing and comforting power of the Holy Spirit as we bear each other's burdens, lift each other up, share each other's joys and concerns, and make a sphere of love and beauty. May it be so.